Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Key in the Light podcast, the premier whiskey podcast without the mention of whiskey in the title whatsoever. This is your host Jake here, all by him lonesome while I'm quarantined in my apartment with my dog and my wife. Uh, this episode we recorded with David Powell, the New York City brand ambassador for Hudson Whiskey last week. It was an amazing conversation. We got into it right away, David and I. It was uh, just me solo recording this one with David, but he's a very intellectual, thoughtful guy that represents a great company out there in New York City. So have a good listen, stay safe, and be well. Like, like what I'm doing now is I'm challenging like my best friends, the people that I care the most about. I'm like, yo, um, there's this nonprofit organization called edX that gives all of us access to Ivy league school courses. So do you want to take entrepreneurship 101 from MIT with me? That's awesome. You know, and, and yes, there's a, I'm not going to walk away from the fact that there is a luxury in the ability to think about working on yourself as opposed to working on how to take care of your responsibilities. However, I think that one of the best things that any of us can do is to actually use this time and start to better ourselves in ways that we had never had the time to before. I agree 100%. I was just listening to a podcast today talking about developing a plan and not just for what the quarantine or for how long it exists because we don't know how long these this new life is going to exist. And obviously things are going to change after that. But the immediate impact that you can have on yourself from a day-to-day basis and drawing out a plan to be productive, not turning the TV on, not turning Netflix on, but about using every minute possible of your day to the best advantage. It's reading, creating, whatever you can do to inspire yourself just to learn something new. Totally on the same page with you on that. Yeah, it, it's 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 a very real thing. And I, I actually have to move my computer slightly to show you the way that I've been adapting. So yeah. I've, I've seen a bunch of my friends that have gone into the puzzle world. And now that they have time to, they're like, yeah, I'm going to crush this 500-piece puzzle. And I remember my grandmother doing puzzles. And I live in my grandparents' old space. Oh, wow. And as a kid, I was always way too cool for puzzles. But I was never too cool for Legos. (laughs) So I just caught like the Lego International Space Station to build because when I catch up with my boss on a weekly basis, the document that I send him for us to go through is like from the Hudson Whiskey Ambassador to the International Space Station. Because that's that's what I've now termed home. Like I have a NASA jumpsuit. I have all of it. If I really want to go full out, I could just put on the NASA jumpsuit and my Yeezys and all of a sudden we're in space. I love that. It's a good approach to have about that. Because it's in your surroundings, it could be whatever it wants to be right now. The world, yeah. is, the world really is ours. And that's how I've, my wife and I have really tried to approach that. She's doing much more work on a daily basis than me because she works in PR and marketing. So she works on eight brands for one company. So it's always evolving hour by hour. But, you know, as whiskey salespeople, there's only so much you can do in the day and so many emails and so many ideas you can come up with and scour the internet and write some people back and forth and you know, and, and I think too, and in fairness to to her and to myself and to people that are in our positions, right? Like, what everyone is trying to figure out is how can you best inject yourself into all of the conversations that are going on right now, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean, hey let me send you a bottle of my whiskey for you to make a cocktail with that could manifest itself in. And then like one of the things that I'm working on is as someone who has had an opportunity to dive into like my own personal art over the last, I'd say 18 months, how many people that work at bars that I love have been painters for longer than I've known them. And can actually begin to create their art career in this moment. 
So as opposed to asking bartenders to create cocktails for Hudson, like what we're trying to do is talk to people and say, hey, what can I do to help you figure out whatever your new normal is in a way that is valuable to you that also doesn't say that the only way that I value you is your ability to make a drink with my yeah. bottle. You yeah, know? And exactly. that, that's a very difficult balance to strike right now. And I understand why a lot of people have jumped out with their initial programs being the ways that they are, because all of us want to try and find ways to get money in people's pockets. Right. But what I've found is by stepping back for a week and a half, two weeks, and not feeling a need to be the first person within my team to present an idea, I've given myself the ability to present an idea that will create more for everybody as opposed to saying, this is my limit and this is all that I am able to do. And that's what I'm trying to do my best to try and generate is how can I multiply my resources to actually have a greater impact for the folks that are out there? How have you done that so far? Are you reaching out to then artists or people that are bartenders that are focusing more on their art path right now? So, so one of the things that I'm working on is, uh, is like a charity art auction where every, bar, every artist is a bartender who has been displaced as a result of, you know, shelter in place, social distancing regulations, which have made their venues no longer viable businesses. And these aren't people that just started painting because someone told them that they could make a little bit more money if they paint. Like we, like the, the submissions from artists that are also bartenders that I've gotten have actually made me in a way ashamed of the fact that I didn't know, because some of these people are actually folks that are close enough to me to where I should know what their outside thing is. Mm -hmm. And I have found that people that are so much closer to me than I ever thought have so much creative talent. And I just want to use the platform that I have available to not look at bartenders as if all they can do in this moment is bartend. Mm. I kind of, I'm I'm more interested in who you are as a person, which is the same way that I would have been if I sat in front of you at your bar. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I think, and I don't. You know, I'm not sure if you know that. I'm also a whiskey rep too, um, and do the podcasting on the side. So it is my behind the scenes project. But people yeah. are always. It's something I never bring up either. But you just don't want to be like, I guess, toot your own horn and kind of lower your ego in that way and focus on the job at hand. Usually, when you're in those bars or whenever you're in those event situations or any work situation, you kind of just focus on what am I doing here right now? What's my purpose versus what's my purple my personal. Um, personal background, personal story that you might somehow fix in a little bit with your daily job. Cause I think a lot of people bring that to the table, but sometimes you just kind of forget that person behind the bar, the person behind the bottle, they have a whole other story to their life. It's not just whiskey. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that that approach is the thing that I've found most important right now. Right. Is right. that I remember when I first and and when I began concepting these programs, it was, let me put myself in the position of everybody that I'm trying to help. Mm. And let me imagine that my brand job in this very moment didn't exist, but all of the things personally that I've been able to pursue were still priorities of mine, right? If If a brand hit me up and said, hey, can you find the best looking place in your apartment, wherever it is that you live to make a drink for me. And it's worth that, right? Like that, that's one approach. And I understand the approach. I understand the validity of the approach, right? You're trying to get people to do things immediately so that you can get them through the financial processes of your company to get them paid as quickly as possible. So I am not in any way trying to minimize what the folks that have 
role those sorts of programs out are doing. Because what we all want to do is try and create financial security for all of our friends that still have full-time bar jobs. But after having, you know, basically created my own apartment, which is like 50% my own art and 50% things that friends have either gifted me or things that I have acquired over the years, I'm like, what if I was able in this moment to create a program for bartenders who have never had enough time to dive into their art to actually have a platform that was created by a liquor company to help them transition into this thing that is their passion, which makes it completely about them and not about me. The only thing that I'm responsible for is creating the idea and the platform, but the impact financially, the ability for us to scale it, I am not creating any of that. All I am doing is telling people that have disposable income that there is a way that you can support people that are struggling. And the way that the auction that I'm working on is kind of been set up, 50% of the closing bid goes to the bartender. 50% of the closing bid that doesn't go to the bartender goes directly to a nonprofit that is granting emergency relief grants. So my company is not seeing a single cent. Mm. It's, it's, it's not about, for me at least, it's, it's not about, hey, how do I sell more Hudson whiskey in this moment? It's right. how, do I, how do I give people what we've all been really hungry for, which is an experience? And if you can follow this bartender who has now been displaced from their job as they're working on a piece to put up for auction, all of a sudden it means something a little bit more to you. And the other thing that kind of legitimized my thought process was there are two major factors that make a single piece of art important. Hmm. Does it fall into a particular time period? Right. Whether that's cubism, postmodernism, renaissance, uh, you know, whether that's like pop art, whatever, right? Street art mm-hmm. as an era. There are particular moments in the history of art that are extremely important. And I have a feeling that this moment for artists is going to be extremely interesting and important. So I don't want any of the artists that are involved to give me something that they've already had done. I want it to be something that's been created during quarantine so that we can begin to create the quarantine period of art. Quarantinism. And then the other part of it that's important is what is the story of that artist? And every artist involved in this initiative is somebody whose job has been compromised as a result of us trying to all keep each other safe. So their stories are all important Hmm. as, as it relates to what we are all experiencing right now. And that is what to me drives up value as it relates to a piece of art. I love that. It's the, the period is so important and we're finding ourselves ourselves. You never know when you're in that period until it's after the fact. And then it's usually named and titled and then there's a response to it no matter how many years later it might have to be, you know, some, a lot of artists, their best uh, sales happen after they die. And how many of us are, are just unconscious of the, the very moments that we're living in. This is a moment where we can all be very conscious of where we are. Like it's like how many different globally important events do we reference by saying, you know, exactly where you were when that happened. Right. 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 There's only there's only a few. I mean, people that are living through this period, you know, people that are our age, you know, you have probably two or three events where you can say, I was sitting in this classroom, I was standing on this street when these certain events happen. And it kind of gets back to like what you're doing, talking about, like is showing that art can be all around us, which was the purpose of Dadaism, you know, so long ago, over a hundred almost a hundred years ago or over a hundred years ago, showing that it doesn't you don't have to go out and to explore art to find art. You don't have to leave, you know, 
America and travel to Europe and travel the world to find art, art is all around you. Agreed. And, and what I think is also really cool is like it gives, it gives these artists whose day jobs have been thrown into infinite flux. Yeah. The opportunity to create the time period in which we all exist right now. And who better to express that visually to any of us than people who have been passionate about it without the opportunity to actually spend that much time on it. Yeah, passionate about it and people that are the most affected by this time period too because you know, and not everything is financially, but work is important when it comes to being a human being, especially you know in a capitalism market. And if you can't, pay your bills that could also affect your mental, mental, uh, you know, alignment and self, like self, uh, you know, yourself overall. And we're seeing the effects of that already. So it's definitely important for these individuals to speak up, speak out and show what they're going through because their best representation of what this time period of two months, four months, maybe an entire year could have on the impact of our society overall. And, and none of us really know, you know, no. like I, I'm, I'm, I understand that as someone that is in the epicenter of all of this being in New York City, yeah. that I am extremely privileged in that my mom has worked in the healthcare industry for the last probably 35 to 40 years. Okay. Wow. And my mom runs the pharmacy department for a 10 hospital system here in New York. And my mom and dad have come and dropped things off to me. I, I had not shaved my face completely <laughs> for about three years. Okay. My mom brought me an N95 mask from her hospital. One, mm -hmm. right? Like not the, not the random right. questioning of supplies going out of the back door that has been put out there. But my mom, as someone who cares about her son, was like, son, you're walking your dog. And if you're walking your dog, then I want you to have a mask and I'm going to bring you one. Hmm. And from that point on, you know, like my mom, my dad and I would meet up once a week. They would pretty much drop off groceries because I wasn't able to get my fresh direct deliveries <laughs> delivered because right. everyone is ordering groceries right now. And that was just a way of me, even if I couldn't embrace them, being able to see them mm -hmm. I, you know like i've i've now instead of you know texting my mom to let her know that i'm okay i facetime her and my dad and i make sure that we see each other right so they can verify that i'm all right yeah it's definitely important yeah and it also you also don't want to put parents who are in that category to be more susceptible to this disease potentially as well. My parents asked me, do you want to come home? They live in Iowa, which is about a five hour drive from Chicago. I'm like, no, I don't. I, I've been traveling for work the last two weeks building up to all this shutdown. I don't know what's on me. I don't know what I've brought yeah. back. I don't want to bring it to you. My dad already is, has health effects from it and probably is more susceptible to this disease. So he's been inside for four or five weeks, even though their state hasn't put in a shelter in place, which is, pretty crazy, but we'll leave the politics out of that. And it's like, I would love to go spend the time with you, but I also don't want to put you at risk. And, and that's like, that's, that's the really scary part, right? Is that you, it, it's, it can legitimately be a life and death decision for you in deciding who you allow into your universe right now. Right. And even that, right, there, there are so many other things that have shifted for all of us in our everyday life. The ability to not go to our neighborhood bar hmm. and have a meal and a drink with our favorite local bartender. Yes, that is one part of it. But the other part of it that says that you just can't interact with people that you love that you might not interact with as often who you would lean on more so than normal. You know, I, I have to think about every decision that I make in a way that says my mom has had to go to work Monday through Friday every day for the last six weeks. Yep. And so, yes, 
while I am privileged in knowing that my mom works in the hospital system and if I need a hospital bed, chances are yep. they're going to find a bed for me somewhere. What the burden of that privilege puts on me is to not make my mom have to worry about me getting sick or me being the reason that she gets sick. And then she can't be the resource for the whole department within that system that depends on her. And, and that's, a, that's a heavier burden than I ever expected. And the, what I will say, the flip side of, of that burden has been the privilege of telling my mom that this whiskey distillery that I work for, you know, that's 90 minutes north from us, has also started making hand sanitizer, mm-hmm. which is a very difficult thing to source at a reasonable price. Right. And if I can, like, I, I, I was just on a happy hour with everybody that works up at the distillery earlier tonight. And I asked them because I connected them with the director of procurement for my mom's hospital system. Oh, great. And I asked, Had, has anything happened? Like, have they been able to place an order yet? And they're going through the finance, the finance department exercise of creating a new vendor so that they can finally procure things from us. And all of those corporate protocols are things that none of us predicted being so critical in a moment like this. Right. We all thought that, yes, they're defensive and they're preventing our companies from being liable for lawsuits. But what we never actually thought about on the other side of that is that they're going to create additional amounts of time between where we can identify an opportunity to help and where we can actually fulfill that opportunity. Yeah. And it's amazing. I was just on a call yesterday at the TTB um, talking about the accelerating program process of getting all this sped up, all this, you know, tape you usually have to cut through um, to create new products, the hand sanitizer approved for distilleries, uh, you know, to be actually make the, make hand sanitizer, first first legally and then also with the right recipe so it's safe for individuals to have it and i've been talking to distilleries for the past four weeks um and they initially thought hey we'll make some small bottles for our local public and that way you don't have to go to walgreens and it's it's sold out and you have to run a cvs and they're sold out we can do it for our community right here and then the immediate response was as soon as they had sanitizer being made or work out these distilleries were making hand sanitizer they're having calls not just nationally but internationally saying we need these in our front lines our healthcare workers need these our policemen need these yeah, yeah. Uh, our, our nurses needed these to take home at the end of the night so make sure they're safe and protected and protecting their family when they go home and hug their children at the end of the night and and that's that is something that a lot of us have not even considered right, right. like and, and I, I watched something yesterday where there was a journalist that was following uh, like a power, like an EMT team mm-hmm. in an ambulance. And the EMT said something that to me was just so immediately insightful that I had never thought of. And they were like, you know, let's say on a normal day that we handle 10 calls, right? There might be three of those calls on a normal day that are catastrophic. There might be five calls where we get to feel really good about what we were able to do for those people. And then there might be another two calls that go either way, right? But what they're getting their day broken up with is a tangible way of understanding that what they are doing is helping. And right now, based on like kind of what I saw, a lot of the New York EMTs are basically saying we are not getting those layup calls anymore because no one's calling 911 unless it's catastrophic, which means that hopefully you get there before what was catastrophic when I called you becomes catastrophic to my ability to breathe or my heart rate or my organ function. Mm-hmm. And what, what I've kind of had to dissect throughout all of this, especially being in New York where we are pretty much the epicenter of all of this is that 
none of the testing numbers that we have available to us are based on random samples, right? So where like, even if you're doing an exit poll, you're like, this is a random sample of a hundred people that left the poll, right? right? Our our testing statistics in terms of rate of infection among those tested and rate of hospital admission is only based on people who have already exhibited symptoms to the point where they have passed a hospital screening process to be tested, which means that we have no idea what the rate of infection in the general population is. And that is just me as a scientist with a hypothesis that hasn't been disproven. Right. Right. Like the scientific method is actually what is going to save as many of us as possible saying that it's not about the politics. It's not about where I live and what my governor or my mayor or my senator or my representative feels. It is about me saying to myself that what I learned in elementary school is that science starts with a hypothesis and then it experiments against the hypothesis to disprove it. And if that hypothesis hasn't been disproven, then it's still active. And if that hypothesis has been proven, then we now have some information to work off of. And if we could all just go back to elementary school scientific method, I think a lot of us would be, and, and all that said, I say that knowing that like I speak for and interact with and represent a lot of people that think the same way that I do. Yeah. 100%. So they, they are being cautiously skeptical about whatever is happening wherever it is that they are yeah and along with science it's also patience and intelligence humility and adaption which we've seen you know the perfect example is what those emts are saying we're getting only emergent response calls yeah. because people know i don't have to call when there's a small you know not emergency but just a small situation developing let's see how fast it really does develop if it really is worth the call in the time these people that have to be out there that are literally keeping our country together it's not about like the politicians or this and that it's about people like your mom people in the healthcare system our police officers that are you know keeping the peace every day when they have to do it it's probably on a smaller scale but they're out there and respond very quickly and if people have already you know adapted to the point where they've identified what an emergency really is it really shows that you know, humanity can lower its ego overall and unite. And hopefully that will be one of the positive outcomes of this. I, I agree, but I think that it's also scary because on the other side of it, what it says is that if, if I show up to a hospital and I'm COVID pos- positive, mm-hmm. you are not actually going to give me a bed unless I'm exhibiting pneumonia symptoms, yep. which means that we are sending a lot of sick people home to fend for this on their own. And that part of it is not something like I, it's a, it's a very, it's a very difficult thing. I think for the country as a whole to understand, but I think that people that have been in underrepresented communities or disadvantaged communities for generations Mm -hmm. have always kind of understood like if something happens we are automatically at a disadvantage and i am i do not discount my my own personal privilege as a member of a disadvantaged community that has a disproportionate level of access to health care You know, my, my mother, my mom and my dad, my mom is the pharmacy director for a 10 hospital system. And my dad is the regional director for a state department. So one parent works in healthcare and the other one works in state government. I have a very disproportionate level of access to support, no matter what level that necessitates. Mm. And I know that I am unique in that, but by acknowledging that to everybody that my platform 
has an opportunity to reach. What I hope that they understand is that that doesn't mean that me as someone who is extra privileged in those ways is putting myself at a outsized risk because I know that I am privileged. If anything, I'm putting myself at less risk so that the people that are not as fortunate as me to have those resources don't have me blocking them from a bed. Yeah, I'm taking advantage of the situation for sure. And it's trying to kind of sh- it shows that not necessarily on an equal playing field when it comes to getting the disease, but we're on an equal playing field that anybody can get it. And Any, if you are, anybody, if you're anybody. stupid, if you're stupid about it, obviously you can catch it. No, it's, and it's, and if you're being heroic and putting yourself on yeah. the front lines to try and fight it, you are at the largest risk to get it. Yeah, there was a story even just with a bus driver here in Chicago. He was, I think, I can't remember what social media well, platform. That, that was one of the most. Yeah, that was one of the most gut wrenching things that I have seen in a very long time. Yeah, because literally he's out there talking about people coughing on the bus, not being respectful on the bus, and he's I a thought driver. He was, was, was he in Detroit, though? I thought he was in Detroit, not Chicago. Oh, there's one in Chicago as well. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, it's the one in Detroit. Yeah, it was one in Chicago. But yeah, like and then three, a few days later, he caught it and passed away. And he was gone immediately. Yeah. He was like, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm at risk. I'm an essential worker. And yep. then all of a sudden, all of his concerns came to bear very quickly. Yeah. I think about people who just work at grocery stores. You're like, I just work at the grocery store. I go stock the shelves. I work my eight hours. I go home, think nothing of it. And then snap of a finger, you're all of a sudden out there on the front line of something that you could potentially die from by just doing your routine job and how, how many, you know, decades and decades and over, well, probably over a hundred years, we've had grocery stores in America. And no one ever thought I'm going to die from going to the grocery store and working today by stocking the shelves. Well, you, you know what the, so there's a, and, and as a New Yorker and as somebody that is lucky enough to also represent a New York brand, I feel mm-hmm. like this is a really solid frame of reference, right? Like prior to nine 11, mm-hmm. the, the world's understanding of New York city was kind of that like New Yorkers were assholes. right like right right everybody is so stuck in their own world and so stuck in their own universe that they don't have the time to be courteous to you Mm -hmm. and i'm not going to say that that hadn't been proven to me in various (laughs) travels of mine where i went to places where people were very deliberate about saying good morning good afternoon good evening to you which is just not like that is very counterintuitive to how I was trained as a child to survive New York. It's right. You get on the train. You, you got to catch the train. Own, <laughs> you mind your own business. Nobody else's business is yours. And if there's a conflict, you don't get involved because you have no idea what's on the other side of that conflict. Right. And that was like, I mean, you don't know if that person on the train has a gun and mm-hmm. you trying to be chivalrous to this domestic dispute results in you being shot so you just don't involve yourself and then after 9-11 i think that new yorkers almost found themselves as like ambassadors to the world that was curious about the impact of this moment Mm. and it's it, it went from the initial reaction to somebody asking for help in the subway system being like well bro there's a whole map there and that map tells you exactly how to get from point a to point b if you can follow the permutations to you know what the the answer to that has just been in the back of my brain as a subliminal thought since i was 12 so Mm -hmm. if you're trying to get from you know 96th street and broadway to grand central here's the quickest way to do it here's the most adventurous way to do it (laughs) here's the scenic route if you decide that you'd like to get out at 59th street and walk across the bottom of central park because that's a great visual and then instead of transferring underground you just jump on that other train from three avenues over you can do that and i feel like that's that's what New York is going to end up being again after mm. all of this. And, and I think that that's the one thing that Governor Cuomo has been really good about 
kind of trying to express is like, let us go through this. Mm -hmm. Help us as much as you can through the hardest parts of this. Because one, what we're going to do is create a case study at zero cost to your community. Two, we will have amassed a great amount of resources that once we don't need those resources to the same level, we are happy to redistribute the way that they were redistributed to us. Yeah. And three, we will have gone through the whole process of the curve increasing, the curve plateauing and the curve going down. So Mm -hmm. as much as people can look at, New York and say, I don't live in New York. And that is not what my experience with this particular moment is going to be. What I'll say is like, if New York is the melting pot of the world that we all think that it is, and we all know that it is, and Chicago has fought very hard to lobby towards being that second city, (laughs) even in naming, you know, it's improv troops, like then let us be the example. Let us be the example of how to best deal with this. Yeah. Whether that be giving people difficult information daily, having hard conversations with levels of government that are above your pay grade and your, scope of work Mm. lobbying and trying to do as much as you can for the people that actually are out there putting themselves at risk, right? Like every place that goes through a spike within the United States from now on can look at New York and say, here's what happened in the place that was hit the hardest that we all expected to be hit the hardest. And let's study the way that they responded and learn some best practices. And every industry that any of us are involved in cares about best practices. So if we end up being the best practices for a pandemic based upon our interpersonal logistics, then so be it. I, I will be proud to be someone that made it to the other side healthy, that helped other people figure out how to keep people healthy and how to do things for their constituents and their community in a really difficult time. And that's all that I'm trying to do right now. Right. No, that I think the comparison to 9-11 is a really apt one because we saw the ripple effects throughout the entire country. You know, the, there was almost a curtain lifted off of New York and patriotism spread throughout the entire country when it was, you know, saying hello to people, being a little bit nicer, being a little bit more friendlier I know people in Chicago look for that opportunity to help people out on the train or the subway saying like, I see you looking at the map. Where are you trying to get to exact same thing with like yeah. going, going to Wrigley fields? Like you can get off one stop shorter and you can walk like, you know, a quarter of a mile up the street, past the bars, past like other people having a good time before you get to the field or you can take the stop that ends you right at Wrigley field and Addison and walk off and you're there. But you do want to have that full on experience. I think what you just said about kind of relates to what you're doing with the projects too, with the bar program revealing what the people behind the bar really are. They're not just a bartender, they're a person and they're a person with ideals, a person with talent and could have something more to give than just, than just a drink. And it's, and it's humanity, right? Like we, what, what all of us are missing more than anything right now is those, those experiences that we had in those places. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not about, okay, my friend that I could FaceTime and check on them but i could meet them at that bar it's it's not about that it's about the experience of being in that place right and what that place means to you to your taste to who you are as a person to actually be predisposed to chase those places Mm -hmm. and you know like outside of the auction the other thing that i'm trying to do is like i'm i'm working to find bartenders that are working at places that are either still open and like doing uh, to go or pick up cocktails or places that are closed, but that still look exactly the same because one of the greatest things that I've ever been granted in my travels is the opportunity to like pull the curtain back Mm. and be at that bar when the doors are locked. 
and smoking cigarettes inside of a bar where cigarette smoking is not allowed and go and see what where they juice their limes and lemons and what they carry in their you know walk-in refrigerator and what ice machines they have and like what 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 i want to do more than having bartenders answer to me how creative can you get with my spirit is say to them how creative can you get in the experience that you can share with people that depend on you for those experiences, right? Your mm-hmm. bartender is your therapist. <laughs> your, your bartender is your psychologist. Your bartender is your buffer between work and your real life. Yeah. And, and as much as we've asked bartenders to kind of like utilize their hands as a way of giving us an opportunity to support them, I think that there are so many other aspects to these humans as humans that we're not giving enough opportunity to, to be spotlighted. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of what I've taken upon my, my chest and my back to really be a proponent of, to say, what is what is the most difficult way that I could attempt to allow a bartender to share their humanity with the consumer? And how can I now legitimize that concept? That Those are the questions that I'm asking myself right. every day. Not how can I get a bartender to get a bottle of, of my whiskey and make an old fashioned with it, right? Because yeah. that, that occupies them for... 30 minutes, right? Right. The questions that I want to ask to my colleagues and my friends and the people that I care about and the people that have more time than ever to figure out these questions is how do we move forward? Knowing that every place that closed as a result of these regulations is not going to open up the day that everybody lifts their social distancing regulations mm-hmm. no you're 100 right and we, we have to accept that it's, it's not going to be the same no and we'll be having those test cases next week it sounds like in certain states that are opening up um some small businesses right or wrong it's it's an avenue that's going to be people are going to be going down and traveling down very soon and then hopefully in a safe response people will be able to handle that situation and we'll see how people can now you know, have that interaction, what will be lost, who will be able to be bring, bring brought back to, because just because doors are opening their businesses doesn't mean that businesses are able to fulfill an entire staff. And it's also the community's response based on how they feel safe or not safe enough to go out to those places. And bars might make the decisions, restaurants might make the decision to shut down until it's entirely safe because they can't afford to pay their staff when no one's coming in, potentially no one's coming through the doors. Well, we also, we, we also have as bars and restaurants, a very different public health responsibility as oh, it yeah. relates to departments of health in all of those jurisdictions. Right. But like to, to, to me, and, and I've, I've looked into, I, I have a cousin of mine who I grew up with who lived in Georgia and Georgia mm. is one of the first States that is, easing their regulations, right? Right. So if after six weeks, you are like so willing to risk your health (laughs) to go get your hair done or your nails done or to get your hair cut or to go bowling, like... Here, all right. Here is this, this is my this is my viral hot take. I know where on you're going. All of it, right? Yeah, right. We and and I'm going to say it as clearly as possible. We are in one of the greatest Darwinian survival <laughs> moments that has ever been put upon modern oh, yeah. society, right? So, if somehow or another. Six weeks of not getting your hair done makes you decide to put yourself 
your family, and anybody that you have broken quarantine with over the last six weeks at risk of being infected based upon the fact that you just could not deal with another week or day of getting your hair done, then perhaps what you should do is what I do and, you know, wash and retwist your hair yourself and deal with whatever little alfalfa dreads or (laughs) things that don't make sense are a part of your reality because what you are not, what, what you should not think that you're entitled enough to do is put other members of your community at jeopardy. Yeah, exactly. That is the one thing that I think we should all be focusing on more than anything is how do we best keep ourselves safe? How do we keep the people that we love safe? How do we keep the people that we tell that we love, even though we don't love them like our family safe? Because I probably have a hundred bartenders that I tell that I love, but that's very different than the way that I express my love to my mom and my dad and to my sister. Right. You know, and, and how, how do we do our best to keep each other sane through a moment of societal construct that none of us have ever been prepared for? That's kind of all that any of us can attempt to do. And if you find a way to do that and scale it, I am your biggest fan and just know that I'm working on doing the same thing that I, to whatever level of capability that I have to help as many people as possible and to generate as much funding as possible for people that need it right now. Because even my foolproof plan and as, as a brand ambassador that is lucky enough and privileged enough to say that my job has not been compromised, my foolproof backup plan throughout my whole foray into the brand world was that even if I did something that was so wrong that I lost my job with the brand, I'd always just be able to go back behind the bar and have a baseline level of income that will cover all of my personal expenses. And that has evaporated. Yep. I've never seen a, a moment in, in history that has affected everybody's everyday life the way that this has. I just haven't. No, no one. I mean, no one has. No one's seen this at all. Even through depression eras and 2008 when the stock market crashed, that was still nothing to what it is now. And we yeah, haven't even seen those effects yet. And, and I've told a bunch of my friends this, 2008 was one of the greatest moments for me mm. in my ability to chart my course through life, right? Yeah. So I had, my, my degree was in advertising. I had a job at an agency. I found that job at the agency was not really all that thrilling <laughs> to me. I had a friend that worked in the music industry that had a placement with Britney Spears at the time. He ended up with another placement on 50 Cent second album that sold 1.2 million records within the first week. And he yeah. basically was like, so Dave, um, you're, you're making $32,000 a year right now, right? At that agency as a junior, junior associate all right cool um i have all of this back end from these placements coming in and i'll be able to pay you what you're making and you can be my studio assistant and we'll work on your music when i'm not working on things like that we never worked on my music but what that taught me was that i was a person that was willing to take the risk to create what was next. 100%. And I think that the people that are willing to take the risk to create whatever's next, regardless of what it is that has just been taken and, and ripped away from you. If you, the moment that you have had enough time separation from what has been taken from you and you can figure out what you can actually put yourself on the path towards 
I think that's where we're going to start to see like the really amazing success stories yeah. in our industry from this time. Yeah, definitely. It's all about resilience. I mean, what can we do to make something a little bit better? I think just going on that daily path of waking up, being positive. I know it's hard for some people when you lose your job, obviously. It's a difficult situation. I personally have been there. But, you know, one of those things I took out of getting, you know, trying a different path and going the freelance route while being a photographer and working a part-time job was creating this podcast. And it's something that I felt I had to get out into the world because I always wanted to hear the voice, more stories behind the bottle and behind the distillery and having that, like that noise on the inside of your head and not releasing it to the world when you like, when you're pregnant with an idea, but not letting it be born and it's devastating and letting that, letting that go to rest and never putting it out there. I think that's just like, a punch in the face to yourself that you will maybe always regret. And like personally, I've been there when you have no income, you're like, where's, where's the next check going to come from sometimes? And it's tough and difficult, but sometimes either the greatest ideas can come from times like this because your mind can be settled and have so much more time to focus on what is important to you in life. And I, I think it's also about not being a slave to the least common denominator existence right Right. so like what there something that i've done with like some of my best friends in life is i I found out about this uh website it's called edx edx edx.org and it was started by mit and harvard as a way of allowing the general public basically access to education so you can audit Ivy League level courses in all sorts of fields, right? Like, so a friend of mine and I, and she's like a former tour dancer on, you know, like artist tours. So like Mm -hmm. she most recently toured for Drake. Like, I was like, yo, so do you want to take entrepreneurship 101 with me? Let's do that. Like, let's let's challenge each other to actually expand our capabilities in these moments, as opposed to thinking about what we've lost. Let's think about what we can grow into. Yeah. And and I'm not going to for one second act like the things that we have lost are not important and that they are not hurtful. But what I'm saying. And my my guiding principle, and I've shared this with all of my best friends, and I'm sharing this with you now, and I hope that you take it, Jake, in the spirit in which it's meant. Um, But when I first thought about the prospect of shelter in place, quarantine, et cetera, et cetera, um, I happen to be somebody that is a huge fan of like all of the lockdown TV shows. And I have watched people in jail talk about the way that they deal with limited resources and an abundance of time for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And so my guiding principle through this whole moment has been some people will go into this Malcolm Little and they will come out Malcolm X, right? Meaning they took the time to read when the light was waning and when it forced them to need glasses because they were so thirsty for information and knowledge and they literally created the next version of themselves by having all of this time to not do anything else i love it on the opposite side of that some people are going to go into this mike tyson and they're going to come out mike tyson (laughs) <laughs> like i'm the motherfucking champ i don't know why they thought that something happened just because i wanted i i ain't changed i'm the same you know and and that mentality of everything is going to be the same when this is all over i think is something that is going to end up being a liability to people mm. yeah and, yeah and yeah. anyone that invests in anything whether that be personal capital whether that be financial capital it's all about assets versus liabilities. And yeah. the, the more that you can turn yourself into an asset during this time and minimize whatever liabilities might have existed in your prior existence, the better situated you are going to be to come out on the other side of this 
and be able to chart your own path as opposed to being passive and waiting for somebody else to tell you what they find valuable about you. I think that's a pretty good way to end this. How do you think about that? Feel good? It's, it's been a pleasure, man. Dude, it's been great. I can't wait to connect in person. Stay at home. <laughs> <laughs> in the future, future. And, and stay tuned for, for this amazing art auction because there's so many awesome artists. Yeah, give us the details of that. So it, the details don't even exist yet. I'm, okay. still, I'm still in the process of just sending all of these bartenders who are artists canvases and art supplies to be able to actually create right now because what i don't want to do is create an expense for somebody whose life has changed in order to participate in what it is that i want to do to generate some sort of an income for them cool. so i had a, a initial 10 artists pilot approved Based on the amount of money that was approved, I've reached out to 15 people to attempt to get them to start working on pieces that will have been created during quarantine. Um, and just to, like, you know, just to give a little yeah. bit of context, because why not? Like, these are things that are in my queue that I've been working on nice. since quarantine started. Like that one is uh, like a lyric canvas of Lil Wayne's nice. uh, funeral album. That's a little bit more atmospheric. I love that. Uh, of course, you know, all of us Hunger Game fans, <laughs> may the odds be forever in your favor. And it, it was just, it was, it was really like in, in crafting the program, it was just a way of me trying to figure out if I was in these folks positions and a brand was asking mm. me to do something for them, what would be the thing that I was most excited to work on? Right? Like if, if I had 10 people asking me to create cocktail recipes, but I had one person that sent me a canvas and art supplies and asked me to send them a painting. Heck yeah. I'd probably paint five layers of that painting and send them something that was nothing like what I started on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, I agree and on that. In that way, it gives all of these people an opportunity to express themselves, to set themselves up for whatever life after this looks like. And to, to really like finally, because for me, the, the other fundamental insight for me was that, like I was a rapper before I got into bartending mm. and I had a video on MTV and I've gotten show and proven double XL and unsigned hype in the source. And when I jumped into the world of cocktail bartending as a bar back at death and co it made everything that was in my life prior to that moment, irrelevant. And if I can do something for these bartenders who are artists to create that same moment for them yeah. where everything that they did at whatever bars they worked at is now less relevant than the art that they're creating. That's more sustainable Then I've done something really amazing in a really difficult time. And I'm yeah, like, I agree. Giving that back, also putting yourself in another man's shoes, another woman's shoes and walking inside of those shoes and thinking about how can I really do this? Not with, with the, you know, you have the platform, of the distillery to help out and that kind of helps with the finance and everything, but it's your ideas and it's your personal touch that can really, you know. About how I'm trying to be a resource and how other people are trying to be a resource in this moment, I think is something that is extremely valuable. So continue doing what you're doing. And I'm so happy that I was able to be a part of it. Dude, you too, man. I appreciate the kind words. It was great. Um, yeah. Let us know when everything's rolling with the program and we'll blast it out everywhere. For sure. It, it's it's going to, I mean, the artists are getting ready to get their supplies sent to them within, I'm trying to send everything out to them this week. Cool. So, so hopefully like within a few weeks, I'll be able to 
respond with some success. And, you know, if not, then that just means that we need to find other sources of folks that are willing to help. Amazing. Yeah, dude. Um, yeah, I mean, I travel to New York at least four times, five times a year. So I'll definitely hit you up when I'm there next time. Please hit, hit me and come and see all of this textured wallpaper and Love to. canvas. Like, we'll, do, we'll do it in person too. I'm here, bro. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, have a good night. Cheers.